Oh, good morning. Thank you, Jesus. Um, oh, hallelujah. Revelation chapter 12, please. Um, and then John chapter 3. Just grab that. I know you know where that is. We'll uh, get to it in a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing in our lives. For your goodness. For your love for us. For your faithfulness towards us. And for your presence in this room this morning. Lord, we want to yield ourselves to you and humble ourselves before you. And we know, God, that we know, God, that we don't have anything to offer without you. God, I know that there's nothing that I can say or not say that will change people's lives, but, uh, but only by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into this place. That you would take over and that you would take control over us, over our hearts and our minds, and our wills and our desires and everything, God, that we long for, everything that we want. Thank you. Thank you, God. We love you, God. Thank you for who you are. We honor you, Lord, and pray that you would really take over and be exalted in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Revelation chapter 12, um, I just want to capture here one uh, rather famous verse, which you probably know, but um, just think about it, and, uh, and we'll use it as a launching point today. Um, thank you, Jesus. Okay. Revelation chapter 12, starting verse 7. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, the, of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. This is actually a really wonderful um, and pretty insightful passage. I feel really loud. Uh, this is a really wonderful and, and very insightful passage. And um, there's a commentary here in the middle, uh, which it's the second line that I really want to take. But um, let's look at the first one first. Now. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accused of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Um, this is a really interesting uh, uh, statement because it starts with the word now. See, uh, sometimes we think um, that Jesus has done everything um, that there was to do on the cross and that his victory is, uh, is, is complete. But it doesn't, 
seem like that. There is some argument, uh, um, some debate um, uh, in the Christian community around um, when this event takes place. There's some that think that it's already taken place. Uh, there's some that think that um, it's, it's yet to come. I, I think very likely that it's, um, it's a time in the future. And I'll tell you why I think that uh, in a moment. I don't think that this um, is describing the moment of Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, but, but anyways, um, it's interesting that the angel starts by saying now, now, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. In other words, that, um, uh, that the work um, is not done and the victory of Christ is not done and it's not complete. There is actually a time to come and a set of events that will um, allow his kingdom and his power and his authority to be fully manifest on the earth. And it, there's a requirement there actually. And the requirement um, is, uh, is, is that this war uh, in heaven has been won. Um, this is, is, is very interesting for so many reasons. Um, but one of which is that, um, is that until the devil is defeated, um, that the power and the authority and the kingdom of God has not come. Uh, d- that means that there's some work to be done. Do you, like, do you know? Like, that means that there's some work to be done. So anywhere where you feel um, and you experience that, that, that the supremacy of Christ has not been fully manifest, which, let's be honest, that's like everywhere. Like, unless you live in Texas, which even Texas is like backsliding these days. But like, unless you live in, Te- I mean, it's just everywhere, it's all around. And, um, and uh, we could pretend like that's not the case. We could explain it away. We could hide in our holy huddles. Um, but I, I think the revelation of scripture, uh, at least to me, is that, um, is that, is that there is a war to be won uh, uh, our role is to intercede. Our role is to pray. Our role is is not to um, is not to grab our swords or or, um, or our guns uh, or our signs. Um, uh, but our our role is to, is to pray and to intercede. But um, uh, but that there is actually a time that is coming uh, that we haven't experienced yet, where the kingdom and the authority and the power of Christ will be fully revealed on the earth. And um, I'm really excited about that. But but that 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 I don't think is actually shown up yet. Um, uh, it seems to me that it's not shown up yet. All right. And they have conquered him. Who's him? The devil. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, this sentence is talking about the saints on the earth, humans, you and me, not angels in heaven, you and me, okay? And it says they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And uh, so funny, um, Josiah just made an announcement about testimonies. because um, I, I want to actually think about this for a moment and uh, in a way that may be a little bit odd um, because you may have um, heard this phrase before or um, read this verse before in a slightly different light. So let me... Um, uh, uh, just try to um, hit the controversy here on the head, um, which is, as you know, what I'd like to do. They conquered him by two things. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Okay? So that's two things. The first thing is what Jesus did. Right? That's, that's something that's been provided for us. Like, we n- made no contribution to the blood of the lamb. Like, Jesus did that. Hallelujah, glory to Jesus. Okay. And the second thing is the word of their testimony. Now, and here's actually the very important, I, I think it's, it's kind of an important piece. Um, it makes a difference what you believe your testimony to be. Because your testimony only has power if it is, um, if, if, if it's the testimony that, uh, if God agrees with what that testimony is. I don't know if that like, makes any sense. But like, it doesn't have power if God doesn't agree with what that testimony is. And that's actually really important. Okay, um, there are a lot of people that believe that your testimony is a, uh, a, a recollection of the things that God has done in your life. 
So, uh, for instance, your testimony may be, um, uh, uh, I was running uh, late to the airport, um, but God held the plane for me. And when I got there, the plane hadn't left yet. Like, you know, like the, the plane was there and I, I made my flight, and you know, there, and then off I go. And my testimony is that God was so good to me that he held the plane for me, right? That, that's my testimony. Um, so the, the problem um, with this is that um, the writer of Revelation talks about the testimony of the lamb. And it's a, it's a different phrase, and it just, it's, it's, it's something that's actually very different. Um, there is a testimony of, of, of God. There is a testimony of Jesus. There is a testimony of the things that he has done on the earth and the things that he is still doing. Like, that's true. Like, that, that, there is a testimony of that. Now, that, I think, is actually captured by the first thing in this verse, which is the blood of the lamb. Like, I, I, that, like what God has done, I think, is actually captured in the first part of this verse. In the second part of this verse, where it says the word of their testimony, um, it's, it's quite clear that, uh, to me anyways, like it's quite, uh, it, to me, it, it seems like their testimony is not their discussion of something that God has done, but their testimony is the role that they played in all of this. And, and, and it's a testimony, not in, in other words, it's not a testimony of God's role, which is already covered, which is important and is already covered by the first part of the verse. The testimony is the discussion of the role that you and I played in all this. And the reason that this matters um, is really important. Okay. Um, it's very important to talk about the works of God. There's dozens of verses. Thank you. There's dozens of, I mean, honestly, it's all throughout the Psalms, throughout the commandments, throughout the, like the entire heritage of the church. Of course, it's very important to talk about the things that God has done. Duh. Tell the stories from generation to generation. Make sure your children know them. Make sure their children know them. Like, like yes, we do that. But it's actually, it's equally important to talk about um, uh, th- like your testimony in relationship to him. And there are times, actually, where... Um, when someone tells us a, 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 a testimony, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that they're testifying as to the wrong thing. If you, I don't know if that makes sort of makes any sense. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that, um, okay. Um, do you, um, uh, I, I don't know if you have any atheist friends or if you uh, ever have any opportunity to talk to unbelievers and give you the various reasons that, uh, uh, that people don't believe in God. And one of the main ones is that, um, is that, uh, well, they'll, they'll say lots of things, but like one thing they'll say is just that, well, you know, if God exists, you know, he should prove himself in some way, he should, you know, show himself, or, you know, why is there suffering in the world, or, you know, like, you know, those, those God has not sufficiently demonstrated that he exists kind of arguments, if you're familiar with them. Uh, I think they're all stupid. Um, and the reason I think they're all stupid is because God is not on trial. Um, you are. It, it's, 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 honestly, it's honestly as stupid as, um, you know what, like when you fail a final, or a test, or something like that, and you say it was a professor's fault. They, I mean, they're too smart. They made the test too hard. Um, uh, uh, because your professor is fallible, that's possible. It doesn't change the fact that you failed the test, because your professor is not the one taking the test. Um, God is not fallible, and so you can complain all you like about what God does, what He did, what He didn't do. It doesn't change the fact that God's not on trial. You and I are on trial. Does that sort of make any sense? And so I always think those arguments are stupid because um, the fact that they're suffering in the earth does not at all disprove the existence of God. It just proves that God is 
um, uh, not so interested in suffering, uh, or that there's, there's a good reason that he hasn't gotten rid of all of it. And, um, and obviously we have Christian theology around that, but, but it's, a, it's, a very, it's, an argument, it's, a, it's an argument that makes an assumption. And the assumption is that if God exists, then he must exist to prove himself to me. Which is a silly argument because then he wouldn't be God. You would be God. Like, it's 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 the same sort of silliness as um, people that say, "I don't believe anything unless it can be scientifically proven." And um, that's silly, of course, because the statement can't be scientifically proven. I'll just let you sit on that later. But okay. Um, so any so you don't believe anything. Okay. Anyways, um, back to the point. There are testimonies uh, that are told in such a way. Um, where uh, it, uh, uh, you're implying, even though you're not saying it, you're implying that God is on trial, that his faithfulness and his goodness is on trial, and that, that, that he's passed the test. But God's not on trial, we are. And the testimony is not God is good. Th- that's like, like, yes, we should talk about all the ways that God has been good, but, um, but that's very concerning, when, uh, when we have a community and, uh, um, and a way of relating to each other and a, a culture of sharing testimonies um, where it's like, oh yeah, no, I discovered once again that God is good. No, no, sorry. Like, th- that was not, that was never the question. Like, do you know? Like, there was no question that God was good. There's no question that God is faithful. There's no question that God was going to do what was perfect for God to do. The question was, how are you going to react? How are you going to live? How are you going to demonstrate your faith towards him in the midst of that? Um, one of our friends and heroes, um, uh, uh, Heidi, is um, uh, uh, a missionary in, in Mozambique t- about 20 years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago, oh, probably at this point, I think, I think it was in 2003, but I don't have the date exactly correct. One day she was out um, uh, 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 prayer snorkeling, um, which is, um, which is, no, so, so she was prayer swimming, I don't think, I don't know if she was snorkeling, she, yeah, she was snorkeling, she snorkels a lot. Anyway, she was prayer swimming or prayer snorkeling, and as she was doing that, the Lord told her, are you going to start a university in Mozambique? And, um, and, uh, and she ingested some water, because it's a very shocking thing to be, uh, to, to, to dialogue with the Lord about as you're prayer snorkeling. So she ingested some water and had to come up and, <laughs> Lord, what did you say? Um, you know, and, and, um, and so, uh, and, but she felt that it really was in fact the word of the Lord. And so she began to set herself towards accomplishing this vision. As you may understand, starting university is not an easy thing. It's not the sort of thing you do overnight, right? And, uh, and so you had to buy the land. You have to you know, hire the architects. You have to build the thing. You have to, uh, you, you have to find professors. You have to get licenses. You have to like all sorts of stuff. And Mozambique is not the easiest place in the world for you to get anything done. Like you think it's hard to get a real estate license in New York. Um, it, like, you know, and there's corruption and there's uh, all sorts of things. And so... Um, uh, and so they were working on it, and then they uh, raised some money, and they bought some land, and then God provided that, and then the, you know, and they had an architect, and the architects, and they finally got their licenses, and they had to find a group of people that were accredited to start it. Blah blah blah, whole story. And so for about the last ten years, uh, depending on who at IRS you talk to, they've always been one to two years away from being done, just depending on who you talk to. Like it, it's all the timing has always been. You know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. I don't know how many times Heidi's assistant has told me, no, she's going to be in Mozambique during this time because she's launching the university. Like, I, how many times? I mean, they cut red ribbons, you know, they've like, you know, all sorts of things. And yet, you know, it, it hasn't launched. And they're still working on it 20 years later. Um, now, uh, there are a lot of people that would not consider that to be a testimony. 
that God 20 years ago told you to do something or gave you instructions to do something, and 20 years later, through many ups and downs, through many, you know, uh, uh, four or two steps back one step, you know, or four or two steps back three steps um, situations, you're like, there's something that is done, but it's not done. Like, you, like you've not received a single student to your university, like 20 years later. And you, you're always, you know, 12 to 18 months from you know, having a university, you know, in Mozambique, uh, like perpetually, it's a perpetual, like <laughs> you're perpetually 12 months away, <laughs> uh, do you know? Um, uh, there are a lot of people that would not consider that to be a testimony. The test, what you would consider to be a testimony is God said, you're going to start a university and it's the thing, sort of thing that normally takes people 10 years to do. But 18 months later, you opened your doors and you had a thousand students. That would, that's a testimony. Um, it took you 20 years and you're still not done is not a testimony to a lot of people. But it really depends on what you mean by testimony. Do you see, if a testimony is uh, God's a miracle worker and he accelerates everything I do and he blesses everything I do and everything that would normally take people, you know, two hours takes me one hour. And, uh, you know, like your, your, your Prius gets 50 miles per gallon. My Prius gets 100 miles per gallon because God blesses my... Like there's, there's a, there is an, an unspoken... Uh, uh, um, uh, bias about what a testimony is. And that unspoken bias is that God is, is, is on the stand. We're putting God on trial. And if God proves that he's able to do things faster, better, stronger, with more money, like if God proves that he blesses me more and, he, like, and I get promoted faster and I get better grades and I have to work less hard, then that's a testimony. But that's not, that's, 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 that, that, those are the works of God. God does those things. But that's not what Revelation 12, 11 is talking about in testimony. The testimony is, because that would just be the blood of the lamb. That, that's, that's, that's God's part. Your testimony is the way that you and I relate to God, regardless of what we see, feel, hear, or experience. The, the, that's our testimony. That, in other words, is uh, just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to say this because um, some people won't believe it and some people won't agree. That, the way that you relate to God and the stories that come out of your relationship with God um, that demonstrate your character is just as important an in ingredient in, uh, in your victory over the schemes of the enemy, in your victory over darkness as the work of God, the blood of the Lamb. Just as important. These two things, left hand, right hand, you need both of them. You need both of them. And one of the reasons why we fundamentally, sometimes in the church, um, don't get any victory is because we don't tell the right, it's not because we don't believe the right things about God, it's because we don't tell the right testimonies. And therefore, your, your left hand is entirely missing because, um, because nobody has any of these testimonies, like their testimonies, not the testimonies of the Lamb, but their testimonies of their relationship with God. Does that make any sense? Um, this is really important. Because uh, the Bible is a story of the works of God, but just as much, honestly, honestly, it's just as much the story of men's testimonies, which is like incredible, right? Because that sounds like, well, you're glorifying men. I'm really not. Like, I, I, at least I'm not trying to. Um, but it's the testimony of David that his heart was right before God. Do, do you, like, do you know? It's the testimony of Elijah that he prayed fire out of heaven which is really incredible. Um, we were talking about this in Boston like last Sunday. At the end of James, when it talks about um, Elijah, it said, and Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed, and God said, well, he was talking about the rain. God closed the heavens and didn't rain. And, and then he prayed again three and a half years later, and God opened the heaven and it rained. And that was, that was really incredible to me because um, I had always, when I uh, had previously read the story, and when I had been told the story in Sunday school, it was, uh, I, I always assumed that God told Elijah, I'm not gonna let it rain, you know, it's time to judge Israel. We're not going to have any rain. But that's not what the story says. It says that Elijah prayed and the heavens closed. 
And, and there's nowhere in that story where God says to Elijah, hey, I'm about to close the heavens, be careful. Yeah. Like, no, what happened is that Elijah told Ahab that the heavens were gonna close, and then Elijah went off to pray that God would close the heavens so there'd be no rain. And when Elijah did that, God said to Elijah and said, um, hey, Elijah, essentially, God said, hey, Elijah, um, all good um, that you're not gonna have any rain, but I think you missed something. Um, it, uh, your own food and water are also gonna dry up because there's gonna be a famine land. So why don't you go to Zarephath? And there I'm gonna prepare a widow for you who's gonna take care of you while you're executing judgment over Israel. Like, um, I, um, I, I mean, honestly, the conversation that God has with Elijah is bizarre. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, all good, Elijah. Like, you know, that you're praying and there's no rain. Don't forget to take care of yourself now. Like, I mean, it's just, it's a bizarre conversation that God has with Elijah. And, but it's the testimony of Elijah that he prayed and the rain stopped and he prayed three and a half years later, he prayed again and the rain uh, uh, um, uh, opened and God's relationship with Elijah is not at all actually the one driving the story. God was supporting Elijah and Elijah's vision to bring about reformation and righteousness and end idolatry in Israel. That's incredible, actually. Like, I, 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 that's incredible, right? Now, that's not the testimony of the works of God. That's a testimony of one man's faithfulness before God and one man's vision of, of, uh, you know, of, of ending worship of Baal in Israel. Like, and and that's, that's what makes Elijah incredible. He was not just a guy that heard God say, yeah, do this, and then he said, okay, God, I'll go tell Ahab. It, um, that wasn't his role as prophet. Did he do that? Of course he did that sometimes too, but, but his role actually was that he understood the heart of God, he got with the heart of God, he contended for the heart of God, and God's role in the story was to make sure he didn't die as he was doing it. That's incredible. That's incredible. And you have to tell the story correctly as to Elijah's role so that it can be a testimony for later generations. So that, you see, when you understand the story that way, then you can be like, wait, if Elijah's a man with a nature like ours, right, then I can do the same thing. And maybe we don't need to, like, you know, close the skies, although maybe that would be, I mean, days like today, I'm like, who needs rain? Like, you know, who needs rain? Like, I go without rain for a few years. I'm just kidding. The reservoirs in upstate New York would dry up. We wouldn't have water in the city. That, <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Um, anyways, um, uh, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes, like, like the, that's a testimony because now I understand my role or at least what my role could be in the scheme of God's story. But if, you, if, you, if, if all a testimony is, is the things that God has done, either absent my participation or, uh, uh, you know, or uh, notwithstanding my faithlessness, uh, then, um, then you kind of miss like the left hand of, 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 this, uh, you know, of, of this situation here. Like you, you miss one of the most important ingredients in victory over the enemy. It's that there's a role for you and I to play. And in order for us to play that role, the stories need to be told of how that role is supposed to be played. Does that make any sense? Like stories need to be told of what it means to have a testimony, not of pride, because you know we've all heard those stories. <laughs> not of pride, not of self-centeredness, none of that, but an accurate telling of your role in God's story is really important, and we have to be able to do that, okay? All right. I'm very concerned when the testimonies that we have to tell all deal with God doing what we all expect God to do. It, it can't be, like, it, it, it cannot be um, uh, that way. Like, I'm very confident in God's, in God's faithfulness. Um, I, I don't know how to say that, like, in a diluted way. 
like, I'm very confident in God's faithfulness. Like, if you're applying for, uh, if people, members in our ch- church, like, they need a job, or they need grad school, or they need something, and, and they're like, oh, like, you're going to find it. Like, it's just, come down. Like, you know, like, and, and me, well, you're not the one that needs, uh, I've, been in the, I've been in your shoes before. I understand. I understand the fear. I understand the, the anxiety. I understand the, every opportunity to fear and all that stuff. But, but I'm very confident in God's faithfulness. You may not be confident in God's faithfulness, but I'm very confident in God's faithfulness. And so when God ends up giving you a job and you tell the testimony, like, you know, like, um, uh, God got me a job. Like, I knew God was going to give you a job. That's not the testimony. Because I knew God was going to give you a job. The testimony is how you never had any fear, you never had any anxiety, you never doubted him, your faith never shook the entire time. That's the testimony. And unfortunately, you can't tell that story because you didn't live that out, because you didn't trust God, because you put him on trial. And because we live in a situation where we're content with stories of God's faithfulness rather than stories of your faith in God, we're missing the left hand of this equation of how to get victory over the devil and over the enemy. It's not a great story that God did something great. I knew he was going to. You know, honestly, no, I'm, I'm all seriousness. Like, like, you don't tell a story of like, some of you commute to the office in the morning when you get to the office, you're not like, oh my God, guys, guess what? The A train came today. It brought me to the office. Oh, that was awesome. Oh God, I stood on that platform. Six minutes I waited there. Oh, the timer was counting on the whole time, but my heart was ba-boom, ba-boom, what if it doesn't come? I won't make it to the office. Like, you don't do that. Why? Because you expected the train to come. And so when it comes, you're not like, I mean, you know, you're like, yeah, the subway worked. (laughs) You know, of course it worked. My tax dollars. I was sometimes, anyways, different story. And nobody's like, wow, the Adrian. But sometimes we are like that with God. I never tire of, I, I never tire of hearing great stories, but, but one thing I noticed is that um, earlier in my faith, when people tell a story of something that God did, like um, uh, dying with cancer or something like that, and God healed them, or um, uh, uh, God raised somebody from the dead, um, God provided a job, God provided money, um, you know, they needed money, and uh, they needed $500, and uh, um, they weren't sure how they're going to get it, they weren't going to be able to pay rent, they get back to, to their house that afternoon, they check the mail, there's $500 sitting in their mailbox. I mean, like, the, earlier, um, uh, when I was younger as a Christian, um, and when I was seeking miracles, um, those stories used to impress me a lot, like, oh my God, God would do those things. Um, over time, uh, the more of these things that you hear, the more that you read of God's test of faithfulness, the more that you um, ad, uh, um, absorb the truth of the gospel inside of you, the less you become with, um, impressed by those stories. Um, and the reason is because I now expect God to do these things. And I can't, um, uh, I, I can't articulate um, how that change comes about, but it does. As you grow older in God, if you're growing uh, in the Lord correctly, you stop wondering uh, when he does normal things uh, that you know that he's going to do. And, and what becomes amazing instead is the way that people um, have faith in him as they're waiting on him, as they're walking through process, as 
things are not shaking out the way that they expected. What's amazing instead is, um, is the way that people are able to walk with God because God is faithful, we are not. And so when a man demonstrates his faith to God, when a man demonstrates his trust in God, that becomes very impressive. I don't think I'll ever get tired of hearing um, Brother David's story the first time that he um, raised someone from the dead. Um, and the, when I first heard the story, it was like, oh my God, God raised that kid from the dead. And then um, the, uh, and, uh, as the years went by, I was like, I know God's gonna raise him from the dead. The, the details that I'm curious about, uh, the information that really like, makes my heart come alive is how did you pray in that situation in a hut that was 110 degrees with three warlocks all around you you know, with a local priest ready to kill you. Like, um, how did you stay calm after three hours of sweat everywhere, praying, nothing happening, the boy's still lying there. Like, how did you steward your heart to keep going in that situation, not run out of fear because these guys are ready to, you know, to cut you open and then you mail it. Like, how did you do that? Like, that's the testimony. Do you know? The part where God raises the kid from the, I, I expect God to do that. Yeah, that's what God does. He's a dead raiser. Do you know? He's a dead raiser. I expect God to do that. And, um, and that's very important, actually, that we, uh, that, 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 we, that we steward that. It's very important that, that we um, begin to, 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 to share testimonies about. Um, it is a good thing and not a bad thing, and it's a, a, a significant thing and not a trivial thing that the gospel actually works in your life, that it actually transforms you. Like, like, it's not a trivial thing that you used to be prideful and now you're humble, that you used to be impatient and now you're patient, that you used to be easily, uh, easily angered and now you're not, that you used to be materialistic and now you're heavenly minded. Like, these are not trivial things. These are very important things. And it's very important, actually, that, that this, the, the substance of what is happening in your life and my life, that it actually comes out um, because it's, it, it's, it's half of the equation. Like it's half of the equation that there is a culture around which we are celebrating not just what God has done. That that's not primarily the thing we're telling testimonies about. That God is celebrating. What we're celebrating is the fruit that is being born in you and I. And I want to hear that. I want to hear. I used to hear everybody around me because I thought that I was the best thing around, and now I honor everyone else and believe that they're better than I am. Like I want to hear. Like, like I want to hear that. That's not like insubstantial, that's like cause to celebrate. Like we need to celebrate that. And uh, the reason that often in, in our cultures we don't tell stories of that sort is because we don't have stories of that sort. And the reason we don't have stories of that sort is because we walk a Christian walk where all the impetus and all the burden of the relationship is on God's side. And it's God's job to bless me. It's God's job to help me. It's God's job to expedite my life. But there's no, there's no burden of understanding that like there's a role for me to play and I have to choose every day to go and play that role. Do you know? Like it is a, imagine that you planted, uh, that, that you're a gardener and in your backyard one day, um, a, a bush of thorns grew up. This is not be a random story because as you can see, this is what Jesus alludes to. Imagine one day that a bush of thorns like grows up in your backyard. You're like, oh, that's nasty. I'm gonna remove that. And then imagine if the next day you go back out to garden and it has magically become a mango tree. Just magic. There used to be thorns, now it's mangoes. You'd be like, whoa, buddy, that is a testimony right there. I'm like that is, that is incredible. That, that that's incredible. That actually happens to Christians. Like, 
that actually happens to Christians. There are, it actually happens, it, like even in this church, it actually happens that, that sometimes something will happen to somebody's life and um, they will not, that, it won't scare them. You know, that like, like, like they'll just like ride it, you know? And, um, and I'll be like, wow, that is amazing because um, 18 months ago, I'm pretty sure you would have been shrieking. <laughs> Do you know? I'm serious. Like, like um, so we have some cockroaches in our apartment. And I, I know this is not the sort of testimony that you like to hear, but, but, but here's the important part. And it used to be that certain members of the house, when they saw a cockroach, oh my God! <laughs> And now it's just like, you take the nearest thing. And like, that's a testimony, actually. And it may not be the sort of testimony that, that, that we find particularly impressive, but we need to change our mindset. Because the fact that men actually change, the fact that men are able to rise above, the fact that a thorn can become a mango is like, there's an essence of the gospel. We cannot have victory over the enemy without this being a part of our lives. This reality, a natural flow of genuine sanctification, genuine maturity, genuine growth at work in our community all the time. T- stories need to be told of this stuff. Like, no joke, stories need to be told of how, you know, you used to be anxious that, you know, your bus would be delayed and you wouldn't make it on time and you might miss your interview and now you're just like, God will make it. I mean, it looks like there's two hours of traffic between here and, you know, the city, but I got this. Like, you know, God's got this. This traffic will move. I mean, you know, I could intercede. I could not. Like, this traffic will move, you know, because I just trust. Like, I have faith. I, I, have, I have peace. I have total confidence in God. Stories need to be told of this stuff. Do you know? Stories need to be told. In the long run, um, I think that many people's faith will not survive if you only feed yourself on what God does, like, like God does, and you never feed yourself on the way that people have related to him in a way that gives life. Like, it's important, actually, for you to internalize the way that other people have related to him that gives you life. There's something life-giving in that that needs to be a part of our spiritual diet. It needs to be a part of our spiritual diet. We need to hear stories of courage. We need to hear stories of faith under fire. We need to hear stories of people standing up to persecution. We need to hear stories of how you passed your test without, you know, like we need to hear stories of how you took the hardest class and, and it, yes, God broke through for you and helped you and gave you a brain that you can understand, but also you worked hard and you persevered and you were never scared when you didn't understand anything on the piece set. Like, like, like there's, there's something real going on in the in the, the, the relationship between you and God. There's something real that is going on there, and we want to hear that and to understand that. In Romans chapter 11, there's a verse that is um, slightly uh, unwelcome to some and often misunderstood by others. It says, the gifts and the callings of God are, irre- um, are irrevocable. Do you remember that? Romans 11, 20-something, 8, 9, something like that. The gifts and callings, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That's a very interesting verse. That's a very interesting verse. And one of the things that, um, let's think about this verse with me for a minute. Sorry, this is not one of those Sundays where it's like, oh, I went to church, there was a sermon, it was about one point. (laughs) Just like, we're just gonna flow until um, time is up here. Whoa, time is almost up, okay. I haven't even gotten to, all right, we'll see. Time uh, time is almost up here, okay. Um, Let's think about this for a minute. Do you remember, um, I can't remember when, we, t- uh, we talked about freedom and how 
freedom is such an essential part of your relationship with God. One of the things that is really like very important to God is that you are free in this life. You're free uh, from idols, of course, but you're also free to either love him or not love him because genuine love must be free, right? That's, it, it has to be free. And, uh, and so, um, so that's, that's, that's really important, right? So um, one of the dynamics of that is that then God has to intentionally set you free. And one of the dynamics in that is that God has to continually mature you and he has to give you things that make you more and more free. Because um, the further you walk in God, so this is, this is very interesting. Um, you know your employer, well, some of you have jobs, a lot of you I guess are students and don't have jobs. So you, you, one day you'll understand this. If you, be used, if you are useful to your employer, they will wanna keep you. And one of the ways in which they'll keep you is they'll try to trap you, like, and, like with, with, with things, RSUs, deferred bonuses, um, things of that nature that try to trap you, like, you know, with that, with that employer. And, and what happens, of course, is that when you're making a decision about where to work, you're not truly free. Because if you were to leave, you would lose your unvested bonus or you would lose your, the stock that you can't, and all the people that work are like, yeah, I know what that is. Um, the students are like, well, what is that? Um, um, one day you'll understand. Uh, and, and this is sort of the way of the world, is that when I like you, I don't want you to leave. And the way that I don't want you to leave is that I'm going to try to greatly, like, more, like, ensnare different parts of your life so that you can't leave, at least not leave freely. And God is actually the exact opposite of that. There's, there's a reason here. There's, there's, I'm, I'm going to get to the point here. You'll see why this is important here. Maybe, maybe like, that wasn't important. Um, God is the exact opposite of that. And because God is the exact opposite of that, that actually creates... Um, quite a bit of interesting situations in, in, in life. I'll, g- I'll give you some, an example. Like, let, let's say that you're, um, let's say that you're, um, that you're uh, um, uh, it usually happens with, with ladies marrying men, although it could obviously today be the exact opposite. But let's say that you're you know, a lovely young woman and you, you know, marry a, a, a very wealthy man. And you know, your life is, you know, your, your, uh, your financial situation in life is just, it's very nice, you know, it's very good. But let's say that you know, one day you, you would never do this because you're a Christian, but I'm talking about the friends that are out there. But let's say one day that you know, things didn't work out and let's say he cheats on you or something happens and uh, you want to get a divorce. You're, you want to leave him and you want a different life. Um, the fact that you would have no money if you walked away um, is, uh, would, would be a f- significant hindrance, right? And, and it would keep you in that relationship even though you no longer want to be there. Does that make sense? Not make sense? All right. And, and, so, um, and so, of course, like, you know, people that will try to keep other people, they want to take advantage of this dynamic, right? Like, you need me, and I want to enhance the ways that you need me in order to keep you with me because I don't want to lose you. Make any sense? So if, let's say that you're a, if you're a man, but you're a romantic, and you were an idealist, and you didn't want, you know, anyone to be married to you because they needed you, you wanted them to be with you because they chose you. So what would you do? Instead of... Um, uh, uh, um, Instead of allowing your wife to think that you know they would get nothing if they left you, you would say, "Listen, I'm going to sign a, a, um, a postnup, is like what people call it, uh, where uh, if you were to leave, uh, you would get you know half, like let's say, you know, of everything. And so we have a hundred million dollars. You leave tomorrow for any reason or no reason whatsoever. You walk away with fifty million. You don't walk away with zero. You walk away with fifty million. Okay, what does that do? That obviously frees the other person, right? 
to, do, to have greater freedom to do what it is they want to do, correct? And because that frees the other person to do what they want to do, if they stay with you, that, that staying with you becomes more genuine, right? It becomes more authentic, like if they do. Is it a risk? Yes. Is it a risk that most people will take? No, because most of us do not value freedom or cherish freedom the way that God does. All right, here's where like, things start to get kind of like interesting. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. That means that he doesn't take them back. That means that when he gives you something, it's truly yours and that you can take it even if you walk away from him. And this becomes very interesting because a lot of people's testimonies deal with the gifts of God that are upon them. A lot of our, uh, um, uh, the authentication of ourselves, the, the, the credibility that we project, it's based off of what can we do in God. That's what makes you like, somebody in God is like, what can I do, roar. And, and the, the problem with that type of, and it's, it's a very deceptive type of testimony because we're very prone to it. We hear this, like when we see someone that is clearly gifted, we think they must have a great relationship with God, but that's not how it works. Because once God gives a gift, that gift is now yours and you can walk away from God and that gift will still be with you. Therefore, having a gift doesn't indicate that you're actually close to God. It doesn't indicate, in other words, that there is a testimony to be valued here. Because you can walk away with the 50 million. The gifts of calling of God are irrevocable. And if you think about the things that Paul says are spiritual gifts, prophecy, miracles, healing, like, like wisdom, like all these different things, you can walk away from God and still have those things because a gift that is genuinely a gift and not a loan, a gift is truly yours and you will always keep it even if you walk away from the person. If you and um, uh, uh, um, your friend, like if your friend gives you something for Christmas and, um, and, and you guys decide to stop being friends, you guys stop, decide to stop being friends, hopefully you get to keep that thing that they gave you for Christmas, right? If they come back to you and they say, you know that sort of, I want it back, it was never really a gift. It was just a loan. Make sense? But God's gifts are gifts. And because God's gifts are gifts, you get to keep them. And because God's gifts are gifts, it means, and not loans, it means that the fact that somebody has a gift is not an indication that they have a testimony. And this is really important because I want testimonies. Because I want to be a part of a culture where people have legitimate testimonies that strengthen themselves and they strengthen the church. We need a culture of that sort. In order to have a culture of that sort, we need to all be on the same page of what actually is a testimony. Do you know? Does it make sense? Not make sense? We want to see evidence of walks with God that not only is a sign that you're doing well with God, that God is awesome and that you know it, but that give life to everybody all around. And the testimonies that do that, honestly, they're not the God raised somebody from the dead kind of testimonies. That sort of stuff you hear, you applaud, your life is the same tomorrow. The testimonies that, that I've found that really have shaped me are not actually stories of what God has done um, because I already know who God is, and I have faith in that. The stories that have shaped me are the ways that people have chosen to relate to him in a way that I aspire to be like. And, and, and having enough of that in your life, actually, it feeds you. It's a type of bread that feeds you, and it grows you, and ultimately, it actually is a, a, a part of the victory that we get to have over the enemy. Do you know? All right. John chapter 3, I'm going to read this and uh, try to wrap this thing up, because sit on this for a long time. Um, John chapter three is uh, incredible, not just because of verse 16, um, which is not the verse that we're gonna focus on at all today. It's not at all because of verse 16. It's because in John chapter three, John introduces a man 
named Nicodemus, who is one of the more extraordinary characters in the New Testament. Um, and there was something very special about him. Something very special about him. Nicodemus is only discussed in the Gospel of John. And his name comes up three times. There are three separate stories where John talks about Nicodemus. This is the first one. And oh, I, I can't even tell you how much I respect this man, Nicodemus. Um, somebody who who's going to have a boy one day. I think, you know, Angela and Alina are probably next for having boys in the church. <laughs> There's a rotation program that we have. And... Uh, it's, it's, I'm just kidding. I mean, I just want to suggest, you know, to submit, like, if anybody's taking name suggestions. Nicodemus is a wonderful man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born in the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound that you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born in the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one is descended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant from the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that wherever, um, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world, and he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, in order that, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come into the light, the less his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so they may be seen, uh, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, um, this is, as you know, because you know verse 16, um, one of the most extraordinary conversations that Jesus has in the entire Bible. I have no idea why only John records, I mean, I, like, um, I, I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit, but like only John records this conversation and it is unbelievable. And this story is, a, is an unbelievable testimony to who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is a man that is held in very high regard by the people of Israel. When Jesus says to him, are you not the teacher of Israel? It, that most Bible scholars believe is not, it's an actual title, teacher of Israel. Um, it, it's, it, it, uh, it, that's an actual title. Like it's very, it's believed uh, among the Pharisees. Like this man, in other words, is probably the preeminent um, preacher of his, of, of his day among the Jews. Like he's not just a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee, the Pharisee. Like he's, he's very important in Jewish life. In other words, like he's very important, okay? And so he comes to, it, it's important to understand that. Uh, in what happens here. So he comes to Jesus and John says, and he comes to Jesus by night. That's a very important detail for what will come later. And he says, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
I love this because he starts his, it's, it's, it's obviously is he's giving praise to God, but he's more than that. He's talking about the centrality. He's, he's acknowledging God's work and he's acknowledging God's work in a framework that is totally different from the framework that he's in. Um, I've told you before, uh, the most costly form of honor uh, um, uh, is, is, is honoring people in things that you actually care about. Um, this, that makes sense. So like, do you know, um, like when you watch um, uh, like basketball stars or something like that, get an interview and um, they'll ask, you know, what do you appreciate about your teammate? And they say, oh, well, you know, he really likes his mom. Or, you know, he really, or, um, you know, he volunteers at the kids shelter uh, like on Saturdays. Um, that's, uh, that is honor, but it's the sort of honor that doesn't cost you very much because it's not what you really care about. Like when real honor, like honor that costs you something is where you acknowledge that somebody is better than you in the thing that you care most about. Do you know? Like if you're a point guard, just like that guy could dribble, you know, around me. Like, I mean, that that guy could dribble around me all day and I never catch him. Like that sort of honor is very rarely given. When we are, when we've been trained to honor, typically the honor that we give is the cheap honor of the honor of the things that we don't care about. The honor that's very expensive is the honor of the things that we really care deeply about. Does that sort of make any sense? Okay, so Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus. He doesn't give Jesus cheap honor. When people that are very high up in society need to honor other people, they typically give cheap honor. Just listen to interviews, listen to people talk about other people. They typically give cheap honor, the honor that doesn't, they don't care about the thing that they're honoring them in. You know, oh, you know, that guy, his scarf looks great. Like, it's the, the, the sort of honor that, that you don't care about. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he gives him the greatest honor. I mean, he gives him the honor that's like very expensive to him because he is a religious leader. He may be, in fact, the preeminent religious leader in the people's eyes. And he says, Rabbi, I know that you come from God because only you do the things that nobody else can do. I mean, it starts with like, it starts with a bam. Like it starts with, oh, this guy has actually a man of God. Like he is actually humble. Like, like, like he, he is, he's saying that even though I'm the most famous preacher in the land, that you are a man that actually comes from God. Um, I don't hear a lot of preachers talk like that about their peers, you know, um, it's, it's incredible. And Jesus answers him like it, uh, the way that Jesus answers him truly, truly proves what a great man Nicodemus is. Because do you remember in John chapter two, Jesus is talking about the people and he says that he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in men's hearts. Did you, do you remember that? He didn't tell them his secrets because he knew what was in their hearts. Okay, so in this next sentence, this is how you know Nicodemus is a great guy. Jesus launches into a theological discussion that would have deeply offended a more prideful man. He says something that is by all accounts deeply offensive to Nicodemus, understanding that what is in Nicodemus's heart, he knows what's in Nicodemus's heart, and he knows that what's in Nicodemus's heart will not be offended. That's why he's safe launching into this rich, incredible um, revelation of truth that nobody else gets except Nicodemus late at night by himself. <laughs> you know, like nobody else gets this sermon except Nicodemus because Jesus entrusted to Nicodemus this thing because he saw what was in Nicodemus's heart. Okay? And, and so, so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, this is 
a kingdom. I mean, because the Jews thought that they owned God. You know, they were like, we got, like, God is like, we, like, we are the children of, like, we, like, like, you know. And Jesus goes after him. Uh, like, he goes after his entrenched beliefs. And this is truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus is unprovoked. He has not been asked. Um, Nicodemus has not asked a question. Nicodemus has not asked for clarification about anything. Jesus didn't have to mention this. I mean, he unprovoked, just, do you know? And, and, he, and, he, and he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. I mean, he, he's just attacking Nicodemus's position in life. He's attacking his theology. He's attacking everything he's built his entire existence around. He's attacking all of Jewish culture. He's attacking the pride of the Jews. It's incredible. I love it. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I, love, I mean, the humility. He's not offended. He doesn't walk away. He just says, okay, tell me. <laughs> Explain it to me. And then Jesus answered a second time, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then there's a whole discussion, right? Verse nine, I mean, Nicodemus, he, I mean, he's, he's confused. How can these things be? This is not a guy that knows what's going on. This is a guy who's the smartest guy in the land. He has no idea what's going on. I'm like, how can these things, and he's just like, oh, I don't know. Like, how can these things be? And this is, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I mean, wow, just the, the provocation of this line. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? I, 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 this is incredible. Honestly, it'd be like go, well, going to Steph Curry, Steph Curry would be like, are you the point guard on your team and you missed that shot? <laughs> I'm, I mean, this is like provocative. I mean, he's going after who he is. I love it. Like, this is incredible. This, this passage is, is a memorial of Nicodemus' humility. That's what this passage is. Of course, it's also the secret of, you know, being born again. But, like, this is a memorial to this man's humility. It is unbelievable. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And if I told you the earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he was descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man is lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, so this just, just, just keeps going. It's just better and better. Okay, and, and then here, verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For whoever does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does, does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is incredible. Why? Because Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. The, the reference here, uh, the allusion to light and darkness being righteousness and unrighteousness is a direct attack on, on, on the way that Nicodemus came. He, it starts with, and he came to Jesus by night. And Jesus ends by saying, if you are righteous, you, don't need to, you, you would come into the light and all your works you would do in the light, not in the darkness. Because you are God. You are God. Only people that are evil do their works in darkness. And here Nicodemus is, having snuck out at night so his Pharisee friends wouldn't know that he went to go see Jesus. And that's the end of the story. And I'll tell you why I really love this man. In John chapter seven, John talks about Nicodemus again. The Pharisees are having a conversation about how to kill Jesus. 
and they're like, we're just going to kill him. And Nicodemus says, um, we're not allowed to kill a man without, without giving him a trial. He's overcome this. He is no longer on Jesus' side only in the night. Now he's in the council of the Pharisees and he's willing to stand against everyone else. Everyone else wants to, wants to, wants to kill him, wants to murder him because they perceive him as a threat. And Nicodemus stands up and says, um, we're not allowed to condemn someone without giving them a fair trial. He's no longer hiding in the night. He's now in the light. And then uh, one last time, uh, at the, uh, near the end of John, Jesus is crucified. Jesus is crucified. And um, it, it tells a story of how he's buried. Joseph of Arimathea donates his own tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And it says, John says, and Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, came with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to anoint him as they buried him. Now, his people have crucified him, and he's one of the two guys that buries him. With 75 pounds of oil, you may not appreciate this because we don't, we don't oint people now when they're buried. 75 pounds is a sort of, is a sort of, is a sort of like, this is, what, this, is, this is like the perfume that you save up for an entire lifetime to bury yourself. This is like the burial of kings. It's 75 pounds of perfume. Like, like this is the way that kings are sent off. I, I, like, so Nicodemus is wealthy. He's influential. He's like on top of the world, in that world. And after John, at the beginning of John chapter three, he has this timidity. He has faith in Jesus, but he has this timidity about him. Did you know? He has this, he, he, he wants to be on the right side of him, but he doesn't want his friends to know. He just wants to keep it to himself. He wants to go, but he wants to sneak off and go. And by the end of John, he has come not only into light, he's one of the two guys that buries him. Like, he's one of the guys that's taking him off the cross and, and, and properly giving him. So it's, it's funny because the women must not have known that because on the third day when they came to the tomb with the, with the, with the spices in order to anoint him, they don't know. Nicodemus has already done it. And he sent him off like a king. Um, this is crazy. Like, like it's, it is a, an incredible, it, do you see, um, the things that I just said are not statements of how, great, of how great Jesus is, even though Jesus is great and he's a, he's a central player in the story. The testimony here is not the greatness of God, which we worship God, he's great. The testimony here is that there was a man who had everything to lose because he was on top of the world, in his world, and he was willing to step out of the dark and he didn't just have faith in God. He didn't just have the humility of faith in God. But, but, but when confronted with this, this conviction to step out of the darkness and to bring his faith into the light, into a place where everybody could see it at great risk to him, he was like, do you know? Like, y'all just crucified him. Now I'm going to bury him. Like, I, I'm, that is a testimony. And the story of Nicodemus now sets a bar so that no man or woman who, has, who, who says, well, you know, I can't be a, a publicly a Christian because I'm an important business leader. I'm an important government leader. Um, I might lose my money. I might lose my house. I might lose my position and blah, 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 blah. No man has an excuse anymore. Why? Because of the testimony of Nicodemus. Because of the testimony of Nicodemus. It doesn't matter that we're the president of blah, blah, blah. Like we have every 
responsibility to truly testify as to who God is, what he has done, and what is true and not true, what is right and not right because of the testimony of Nicodemus. And it's not a testimony of what God did for him. It's a testimony of the choices that he made to steward his heart in such a way to bear witness when, when he was called upon to bear witness. Like when he had the opportunity to bear witness, that he bore that witness. That's the testimony. And that's the type of testimony upon which if we can build the church on the blood of the Lamb and the testimonies of men and women like you and I, then there is some power, some aggressiveness in that that will give people courage and will provide a place, a way for them to to step into victory over darkness and over the enemy. And we miss this. And we can't. Do you know? So, Joanne showed you where the QR code is. If nobody is bearing fruit in the gospel in this church, like, what are we doing? Let's take our toys and go home. And if he is, if this stuff is becoming real in you, if you actually care less about your bank account, if you actually are willing to forsake glory on the earth, if you actually are willing to walk by faith and not by sight, then let it be known. Because if we can't build a culture around that, we're not going to have victory, it seems. And so let it come out. Don't be ashamed. You know? Don't be like self-glorifying. That's also, that's not a, that's not a testimony. But, don't be, but don't, be, don't be ashamed. Like step into the light. Let the works that you've been doing be known. Because they're the works of God. Not of darkness. Do you know? All right. Let's stand up and pray. God, we know that you are faithful and good and kind. And God, we also know that you are at work in us and all around us in this church, in our cities, in our campuses, in our companies, in our houses. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to bear witness to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the work that you've done to to. to the ability that the gospel has to take thorns and make them fruitful trees. Help us, Jesus, not to be prideful, not to be self-consumed, and not to be ignorant as to what truly is righteousness and what truly is worth celebrating. But God, make us like you and help us, God, to build up one another by speaking the truth by speaking to your glory and by speaking, God, to the genuine power of the gospel to transform us and to make us like Jesus. We know, Lord, that you are perfect in all of your ways. And we also know, God, equally, wonderfully, equally, gloriously, that somehow you have made a way for wicked, sinful men to be made holy, to be made mature, to be made wise because of you. And we thank you We embrace the things that you have done and the things that you are doing. And we ask, God, that you would continue to be at work in our lives, in our friends' lives, that are left and to our right. We love and honor you. Thank you. Amen.